All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hi, this is Nick Freitas and welcome back to Making the Arguments. Now, a lot of the times on this program, we talk about things that have already happened and we discuss the implications of them, we discuss the philosophy behind them, the policy positions, et cetera. Today, we're actually gonna be talking about something that hasn't happened yet, or at least one aspect of what we're talking about, something that hasn't happened yet. And it has to do with the Virginia Parole Board. So anybody that's been paying attention to what is going on uh, with Virginia, the Virginia Parole Board is seeing that there's been investigation by the Inspector General that has uncovered some evidence of potential wrongdoing. And there was a lot of frustration within the Virginia General Assembly on our side of the aisle because the head of the previous head of the parole board was actually made a judge at the same time that this inspector general report had not been made fully available to members of the House of Delegates when this was actually being voted on. Um, and there's been issues with respect to how the parole board conducts itself, the policies that they follow. And some of those policies have to do with just simply operating within an ethical manner. Some of them have to do with potential violations of Virginia law. And this has caused a lot of skepticism and a lot of um, overwatch of the parole board recently, as is, I think, appropriate and justified by the evidence that we have so far. Now, there's a particular case that's coming up. And the reason why I want to point this out is because the hearing is going to take place later this month. And I'm going to describe for you the individual that is currently up for parole. Now, I want to make something very clear. I'm not saying that the parole board has done anything wrong with respect to this particular case, right? I, I have no evidence of them doing anything wrong with this. This is a hearing that is on the docket. It is a hearing that is a result of what we call geriatric parole in Virginia, which says that once somebody reaches a certain age, they can be eligible for uh, release under the parole system. But what I found interesting was when I personally called the parole board to ask about the various procedures that were involved, and this was because a particular case that we're going to describe came to my attention. And I don't think this person should be eligible for parole, period. But under current law, they are. Now, I'm not blaming either side of the political aisle for this. I'm not. I, I don't think this case falls under the other side of the aisle or any legislation we've seen over the last couple of years. But every once in a while, something comes across where it... it makes you realize something about the way the system is currently working that is highly problematic. And there's, I think, several things wrong with this case. 
But to give you some perspective, let's talk a little bit about the person that's actually up for parole right now. His name is Gary Dean Wilkinson. And Gary Dean Wilkinson was convicted back in 2005 at the age of 44. And what he was convicted of was eight counts of rape and one count of sodomy. He actually pled guilty to this. And these were actually being, this, this rape and this sodomy, this forcible sodomy, was actually being conducted against a child. It was so bad that the judge, Judge Ledbetter, called Wilkinson's actions among the more, viable, more vile and unspeakable he'd seen in his 18 years on the bench. The reason why this came to light is because Wilkinson decided to videotape the sexual acts that he was perpetrating, the sexual crimes he was perpetrating on this young girl. The girl told police that Wilkinson had forced her to have sex with him about four times a week between August 2003 and last June. And when this took place, the conviction was 2005. And she said she went along with his demands because she feared his anger. At one point, Wilkinson got the child pregnant and took her to Virginia Beach to get an abortion. Now, after he pled guilty to this, there was actually 35 other charges that were dropped against him, having to do with things like child pornography, in order to get the conviction. And if he actually serves out the, the entire sentence that he received, he was convicted of 44, he would be 98 before he was released from prison. But because of a Virginia law, he's eligible under geriatric parole. He's, he's eligible to be considered for parole. And so... Somebody reached out to me on behalf of one of the witnesses and wanted to know what they could do. And she had called the parole board and I personally called the parole board to see what was going to be made available. So keep in mind, the initial hearing for this is going to take place in late July. She's permitted to send an email or to write a letter and send it to the parole board for consideration with respect to victim and witness impact statements. This is the, the process whereby the victim or the witness get to inform the parole board about what this particular person's actions meant for them at their life at that point and what it's meant for their life ever since. Now, the witness in question wanted to meet with the parole board in person. And this is something that has been allowed in the past. But she was told that she couldn't meet with the parole board in person because of COVID. Now, I want you to think about that. I'm willing to bet that members of this parole board go out to dinner. I'm willing to bet they go to the grocery store. I'm willing to bet they're not huddled in their basement somewhere waiting for COVID to be eliminated from the earth. But their current policy is because of COVID, they're not allowing victims or witnesses to be able to testify to the parole board in person. Now, they've offered an alternative. That alternative is they can set up a Google Meet. Now, that is something. I will give them that. That is something. But at this stage, with respect to what's going on, I would think that if a victim or a witness, especially when we're talking about a crime of multiple counts of child rape, that if someone wants to come and meet with the parole board in order to discuss the impact this has had on their life, that that should be afforded to them. 
I mean, if you were going to, if you were going to sit here and consider whether or not a person which perpetrated multiple counts of rape took a girl that he intimidated repeatedly into having sex with him, and then when got her pregnant, took her down to get an abortion. If that person or a witness to this wants to come and testify in purpose, I think the parole board should be required to allow them to do that. And I think COVID is a horrible excuse for them to say that they can't facilitate that. But that's their current policy. So they said, it's okay, we're going to have the initial hearing in late July, but you can do a Google Meet with the parole board. Great, when can that take place? Well, the soonest they can get you in is October. And what concerned me about this is if the hearing is in late July, but you can't actually hear this video testimony or, or have a video conference call with this, the victim or the witness until October, Will you make a decision before that? Now, I've been promised by a representative at the parole board that they will not make a final decision on the release of Gary Dean Wilkinson until after they have heard the witness and victim testimony because the, the witness has now requested a Google Meet. So they are saying that they will not make a decision on the release if they, if they choose to release or if they're inclined to release, they will not make that decision before this witness has an opportunity to testify. But the soonest they can get them in is October. I think there's two things here that we need to look at, two, two major things that we need to look at. And some of it is going to require a legislative solution. And, and that is why I am telling you right now, we are going to carry legislation for the 2022 session addressing some of these issues. The first question that I, I think all of us need to confront with is this idea that every time we talk about parole, a lot of times this is advertised to us as, well, this is just second chances. And then they, they talk about, you know, the 16-year-old kid that held up a liquor store or, you know, maybe the 20-year-old that stole someone's car. And we're acknowledging that that is bad and that requires punishment and the victim requires restitution. And I think most of us could see an environment where once someone is demonstrated once they've been punished, once they've paid restitution, on where parole might be appropriate in certain categories. My question is, is who thinks this is appropriate for parole? Who thinks a man intimidating a young girl into repeatedly having sex with her, videotaping it, getting her pregnant, taking her down to get an abortion, essentially mentally and physically abusing and torturing this young woman, who thinks this should be eligible for parole, whether it be geriatric, compassionate, or otherwise? And, and I want to be very clear here. I believe that nobody is beyond redemption from God. But that does not mean that there are certain crimes that are so heinous that within the realms of our criminal justice system, we should be able to say, because of what you did, you are never going to leave incarceration. And the reason you're going to do it is not, is not only because of the extreme trauma that your victims have felt, but because of the potential for you to create more victims if we release you. And when it comes to child sex crimes, the recidivism rate is unfortunately very high. And that recidivism rate 
doesn't diminish nearly as much as it does in other categories with age. So I, I would hope, as a society that claims to care about criminal justice, with an emphasis on providing due process of law for everybody, and this guy admitted to it, he's not falsely imprisoned. But where is our concern and compassion for the victims? Because the way the parole process works, it's not as simple as, as just saying, well, somebody's going to receive a second chance. When somebody becomes eligible for parole, and it can happen every year, it can happen every three years, what ends up happening is a letter gets sent to victims and witnesses, and they ask the victims to provide testimony if they don't believe that the person that attacked them or harmed them or brutalized them or raped them should be released early from prison, they ask them to provide testimony. Now, I want you to imagine that you're one of these victims. I want you to imagine that you're the young girl that had to endure all of this. I want you to imagine knowing that for the rest of your life or for the rest of their life, you're going to get notification every one to three years that you essentially have to go back and relive your experience to ensure that the person that brutally raped you serves the full sentence they received. Is that justice? Because I don't think it is. And I am getting a little bit tired of every time some of these parole issues come up, those of us who believe in truth and sentencing are being told that parole is just an opportunity for someone that may have rehabilitated in jail to have an opportunity to rejoin society. Again, with certain categories of crime, especially ones where you have not physically harmed somebody or raped somebody, if this is something where you, you engaged in, in theft and you've served, you've served a certain amount of time and you've demonstrated in jail that you're rehabilitated, I'm willing to consider that. But I have an incredibly hard time with telling this particular victim that every one to three years, she's going to get notification that she has to come back, relive that experience, because if she doesn't take the time to do that, this person might be released. So there's a couple of things that we have to look at here from a legislative perspective. One side is, is we need to recognize that there are certain people that when you have committed a crime so heinous, you have forfeited your right to live in society with the rest of us. You will be incarcerated. The second component we need to look at is what is the parole board's obligation to victims? If we were talking about March of 2020, with COVID first going out, my solution would not have been to get rid of in-person meetings. My solution would have been, you're going to put on hold the parole hearings you have until you feel like you're in a position where a victim that wants to speak to you in person is afforded the opportunity to do so and know a Google Meet or a Zoom call is not the same as being able to physically be in person. I think we need to afford them that opportunity. I also think we need to review certain protections to ensure that the parole board has done everything it possibly can to reach out to victims and witnesses, afforded them every opportunity 
to meet with them. If they want, if they prefer to meet by Zoom or Google Meet, that's fine. But if they want to meet in person, they should be afforded that opportunity. And no decision for release can be made. Not at their discretion. No, legally cannot be made until a victim or a witness that has come before it and said they want to speak to the parole board has had the opportunity to do so and to provide their testimony. So there's a couple of things that we need, absolutely need to do legislatively. Because look, I sincerely hope Gary Dean Wilkinson has come in contact with the full magnitude of his crime. I hope he's repented. But that doesn't mean you get to come back into society, nor does it mean that Gary's victim has to, be, has to have her life repeatedly interrupted to provide further justification why, why somebody who pled guilty, who had the opportunity of due process of law, because I'll tell you right now, the victim, the victim never had any opportunity for due process when Gary was raping her. The best justice we could give her was by removing her from a situation where she was being violently abused and raped. That was the best justice that we could provide her, was to guarantee her that this person is not going to be coming out of jail until he's 98 years old. And now, simply because he's turned 60, parole needs to be considered. I would hope that no matter where you are on the political spectrum, I would hope that no matter where you are with respect to criminal justice reform legislation, and I've carried criminal justice reform legislation, I would hope that we can look at a situation like this and we can say that not only is the crime so heinous, that this person needs to be locked up, but the impact that this person had on the victim is so horrible that the idea that we would even consider releasing them before they've served their full time, the idea that we would require a victim to have to come back year after year after year to relive the experience, to prove what we already know, that's not justice. And so we will be carrying legislation that reviews the various categories of people that are eligible for parole now, either under the standard parole system, geriatric or compassionate, to determine whether or not it's appropriate that they should even be considered. I'm not talking about small-time offenders. I'm talking about things like this. On top of that, we're going to review parole board regulations and policies. And any policy that they have that doesn't do enough to make sure that victims are heard in a manner that they want to be heard, if we need to actually change the law to ensure that happens, so that no matter who's on the parole board, they know the rules, then we need to make sure that that's actually in code as well. I just... This, <laughs> this should not be controversial. This should not be controversial. But we're going to find out here in a couple of months on whether it is. We're going to find out in a couple of months whether or not a person like this is going to be released decades before they finish their sentence. 
I don't think anything about this achieves justice. And again, I want to be clear here. This person is up for parole, not because of legislation that happened within the last year or two. That almost wasn't true. Thank God for Delegate Rob Bell, who removed some of the, the different offense sections that Democrats had originally included in the law to be eligible for parole. Thank God Delegate Rob Bell spoke up and had those removed because it was about to be a part of standard parole process. This is older. This is a part of geriatric and compassionate. But this is our opportunity right now to say, it's not that we don't believe in a concept of restorative justice, but we need to understand that the other side of justice, which it too often gets ignored in our conversations about that these days, it seems to completely ignore the experience of the victim. When you have an accuser and when you have a defendant, I believe the law should follow the appropriate due process, provide due process. But when someone has been found guilty, when they've been convicted, or in this case, when someone has come forward and admitted to what they did to include eight counts of rape and one count of sodomy in exchange for the prosecutor dropping 35 other charges, our primary concern at this point is to say that justice has been served, but now we need to protect the victim and we need to protect society and those people that could be potential victims of someone that chooses to do things like this. And, and I believe that our constituents, I believe anyone in a free society, you know, we may disagree on a number of things that the government does, but when it comes to a legitimate function of government, protecting victims and protecting everybody from this is one of the primary, if not the primary reason why government is established in the first place. And maybe we can take a pause from all of the other things the government is attempting to do right now to focus on doing the very thing that is the job of the government. So I sincerely hope that the parole board will afford every opportunity to this victim. They can change their policy right now. Next year, we're going to make sure that it is the policy and it's law. But I hope they will make allowances for a victim that wants to come forward and speak to them in person about the impact that somebody's crime had on their life. And I sincerely hope going into the future, we can all sit down as reasonable human beings and say that while maybe nobody is beyond redemption from God, there are certain things that you can do that will cause you to be permanently separated from society. Again, if you want to look more into this yourself, Gary Dean Wilkinson, convicted in 2005 in Spotsylvania County, right? This man is currently up for a parole review. I don't believe, I, I sincerely hope the parole board will not release this person. But some of the previous actions leads me to a position where I'm not as confident in that anymore. But I sincerely hope, I sincerely hope that as reasonable people of goodwill, they can sit down, look at this case and say, no, this person has not served their time. And we owe it not only to this person's victim, we owe it to the rest of the society to ensure that they're not going to be put in a position where they can hurt somebody else. Gary Dean Wilkinson, you can look it up yourself. You can look up, read the reports of what this man did because it is truly heinous.
And if government exists for nothing else, it should be in situations like this where the government comes in and protects the innocent from being harmed by those that would hurt and exploit them. Thank you for joining us on Making the Argument today, and we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.